0: Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp.
1: And I'm Cécile Mitoir.
0: And we are your hosts. Today we'll be speaking with Professor and former American Academy of Dermatology President Dr. Mark Lebvol about the psoriasis treatment landscape and JEADV publications.
2: So we now have a very broad array of therapies for psoriasis, and even more coming. We have the ability to get clear or almost clear skin in virtually anyone.
1: We'll come back to that in a moment, but first...
2: Did you know that
0: the EADV offers free webcasts every other Wednesday at 2pm? To see what's coming up, go to eadv.org under education. Members have the added benefit of watching them on demand later and download the certificate of attendance. And speaking of membership...
1: If you're not an EADV member, have you thought about becoming one? Benefit from access to on-demand webcasts, online courses, 17 medical journals, including EADV's esteemed JADV, over 20 textbooks reduce fees for congresses and symposia, and much, much more. Just go to EADV.org under membership for more information. Dr. Mark Levvall is Dean for Clinical Therapeutics and Chairman Emeritus of the Kimberly and Eric J. Waldman Department of Dermatology at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. He is a past president of the American Academy of Dermatology and Chairman Emeritus of the Medical Board of the National Psoriasis Foundation. He has published over 500 peer-reviewed articles and is editor of Treatment of Skin Disease, which is now in its fifth edition and is published in English, Chinese, Polish, Portuguese, and Spanish. Dr. Labbal, thank you for being with
0: us today. Welcome to the podcast.
2: It's a pleasure to be here, thanks for having me.
0: To start off, we'd really like to talk about the psoriasis treatment landscape and your clinical research. You've significantly contributed to clinical research aiming to improve treatment for patients with psoriasis, including the Resurface 1 trial, uh, Clarity, Uncover 3 study, just to mention a few of your publications in the JEADV. What do you consider as the most exciting novel research directions and therapeutic advances?
2: So uh, over the past little more than a decade, uh, we have gone from drugs that were effective uh, and certainly safer than their predecessors, and I'm talking about TNF blockers, which were the mainstay of biologic therapy for psoriasis, um, uh, much safer than cyclosporine or methotrexate, but still had black box warnings, uh, concerns about malignancy and infection, and we then went to the modern-day drugs. The first of those was ustekinumab, which at the time represented a breakthrough. It was more effective than many of the TNF blockers, but it had no black box warnings. Uh, and in fact, the safety of ustekinumab has held up over time. Uh, We're now at a much further uh, level of improvement and, and a comparable safety. Uh, uh, with the advent of uh, secukinumab, which is one of the studies you just quoted, uh, Uh, here's a drug that blocks one small part of the immune system, IL-17. And we knew even going into the study that this was going to be safe because there are people who are born deficient in IL-17 and the only thing they get is chronic mucocutaneous candidiasis. So they get yeast infections. And that's exactly what we saw in the clinical trial. That was the only adverse event that really stood out in the clinical trials. And now that the drug's been out, uh, after testing started more than 10 years now, uh, the only side effect that has stood out has been that there have been uh, un, very uncommon cases of Crohn's disease exacerbation or, or bringing out new Crohn's disease. That's very uncommon. Candidal infections is uh, about 5% of patients and it is very easily managed. And unlike patients with chronic mucocutaneous candidiasis who get severe yeast infections, these are all mild to moderate, simply managed. Um, if you have, for example, a genital uh, yeast infections, a single over-the-counter fluconazole uh, manages that. And that's, that's uh, over-the-counter in the UK. Um, if you have oral thrush or um, candidal pharyngitis, that may require one to two weeks of fluconazole. But again, very easily managed, mild to moderate. So that was a breakthrough and substantially more effective than kinumab, which was a great drug.
0: As one of the leading researchers in the field, how have you been seeing patient engagement in clinical research evolving during the years? And, and what might the future hold in this regard?
2: So, you know, here's one of the, uh, in the United States, one of the blessings of our broken healthcare system. Uh, it is the, the cost of drugs in the U.S. is exorbitant. Um, And these drugs are expensive all over the world, but they're much more expensive in the U.S. Um, We have an actually excellent insurance system where some insurance companies will um, cover most drugs. And if there is a large copay, the the pharmaceutical companies actually usually pay for that so that the out-of-pocket cost to the patient is very low. The problem is in our very poor or very older population, Medicaid and Medicare, government insurance, you're not allowed to accept coupons or payments from pharmaceutical companies to get you to prescribe those drugs. Uh, The the cost of the drugs also is exorbitant because of a phenomenon of um, what are called uh, discounts and rebates, which aren't really discounts and rebates. What happens is the insurance companies extort money from the pharmaceutical companies in order to uh, get large, uh, what are called discounts and rebates, but they're really just payoffs to the insurance companies. So that raises the cost of drugs dramatically. And the people stuck with those costs are the patients. Medicare and Medicaid can't get help for that. So they end up with very large copays. Those patients are are easily recruited into clinical trials uh, because simply they can't afford these phenomenal drugs. The other nice thing about the drugs, you know, we spoke about uh, secukinumab. Um, there are other IL-17 blockers, ixikizumab, verdalumab. Um, and one of the articles we actually published in JEADV was the four-year follow-up on ixekizumab, which was extraordinary. Here's a drug where a, an enormous proportion of patients respond. We're, we're talking about, if you look at PASI-75, it's, it's above 90%. Um, if you look at the people who achieve PASI 90 for example, something like 80% of them at four years are still, you know, um, still responders, you know, so this is a a phenomenally durable response, very effective drug. And if you look at side effects, it's the same thing. It's blocks IL-17. So it's yeast infections, a few easily treated yeast infections. So, um, um, so, you know, those dr- patients know, we can tell them going into the trial about the profile of the drugs, and it's been very easy to recruit those patients into those studies as a result.
0: Well, there are lots of other factors patients consider, like maybe how fast a drug works, how long it lasts, or even the number of injections.
2: So there are um, many So uh, the IL-17 blockers work very quickly and that's an advantage for them. Um, There's another class of drugs, IL-23 blockers, which um, in the cascade of cytokines that cause the development of psoriasis, IL-23 actually happens before IL-17. So it's it's one step removed from the the molecule we need to block to clear psoriasis. Um, But what happens when you block IL-23 is that um, the cells that make IL-17 are no longer getting the IL-23 signal, and as a result, they go into hibernation or die. And it takes a long time to reconstitute those cells, and as a result, the IL-23 blockers um, give very long remissions, and they can be given as little as every three months. Another one of the Manuscripts I published in JEADV dealt with uh, Tildokizumab and the time to relapse when you stop the drug. And you know the way those trials are designed is um, patients during a double-blind placebo-controlled trial are given Tildokizumab or placebo. That usually ends at, in the case of Tildokizumab, it was 12 weeks. Um, and then the next injection would be due uh, three months later. So, um, Uh, So in fact, uh, in the case of tilvacizumab, it was given week zero, week four, week 16, and after week 16, at week 28, they, uh, at week 16, rather, they got either uh, placebo or uh, or continued on tilvacizumab. So it was a blinded uh, relapse study. And... Um, And the average time to remission was unbelievable. I mean, it was, uh, you know, one of this, you know, longest remissions we had. If you look at loss of uh, 50% of PASI improvement as an endpoint, the um, relapse rate at week 64 was 51%. That means half the patients lasted 54 weeks. That's 48 weeks since their last injection, which was week 16. Um, if you, the, the, um, uh, if you look at a different definition, uh, loss of PASI-75, the relapse rate was at week 64 was 58%, still over, over 40% of patients are still in remission, uh, on average. Um, and this was with two different doses. The, the patients did a little bit better with tildokizumab, 200 milligrams and 100 milligrams, but, um, but still an extraordinary response. The median time to relapse by that definition was 224 days with the 100 milligram dose that we have in the United States. With the dose that is available elsewhere in the world, 200 milligrams, it was 252 days. So incredibly long remissions. So we now have a drug so that um, is very easy to use in patients who might travel a good part of the year. I actually had had patients in our military who go to places where they don't even have refrigeration. And, you know, they can get an injection and for a good part of the year, stay free without another injection. The other advantage of Togacizumab actually is it's good for 30 days unrefrigerated. So, uh, uh, many advantages to that treatment. Um, But the point is, different factors help different patients.
0: Could you give us an example?
2: There are other patients who come to us and they say, well, You know, I want to be clear in four weeks because I'm getting married or uh, I've had actually a a well-known actress who Mm. uh, was trying out for a part, which she did get. But she came to me covered in psoriasis Mm. and um, and her audition was going to be just a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. So we gave her an IL-17 blocker and it worked dramatically. Um, so she, and she got the part, uh, it was a, actually a movie that was released. She was great in it, by the way. Oh, that's great. Um, her co-star was only okay, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, the point is that, um, you know, that, uh, uh, we, we have different drugs that fit the needs of different patients. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a, a little story that occurred, uh, when I had to lecture, a, uh, at the National Psoriasis Foundation patient meeting in the United States. I, they, I was in a room, there were 107 patients in the room. And I went through a list of conditions that we consider when we decide which drug to give which patient. Um, and uh, you know, we always first ask, do you have joint pains? So psoriatic arthritis is important. We ask if they're overweight. And so what I did in this room, ask everyone in the room to stand up. And I said, I'm going to read a list of conditions. I don't want to embarrass anyone. So wait till the end of the list. And if I called out a condition that you have, then I want you to sit down. Joint pain, obesity, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, multiple sclerosis, lupus, a positive test for lupus. Any of the risk factors for heart disease, cigarette smoking, diabetes, hypertension. I went through, you know, hepatitis B and C. I went through a long, long list. And at the end, because we consider every one of those when we pick the drug for our patient, at the end, I said, okay, if I mentioned a condition that you had, then sit down. At the end of that, one person was left standing. Uh, and you know, the point is that, you, there, yeah, I get asked all the time, what's the best drug for psoriasis? There is no best drug for psoriasis. There's a best drug for a particular patient who has a particular profile, but there's not a best drug for everybody. Um, And that is one of the problems we have with insurance in the United States, because, you know, they'll get more money from one company to sell one drug. So they'll tell you, you have to use this drug when it's not the best drug for the patient. Uh, And um, uh, fortunately, we do have a large choice. Um, The insurance system in the United States is different than the rest of the world. We actually have the ability to fight with the insurance companies uh, and use legal protections and uh, and but but it's a lot of work to do that, And but we do it in our department. We actually go to bat and we fight for our patients. We usually do end up getting the drug that we want.
0: For our European listeners, this may actually come across as surprising or even shocking, but definitely interesting. So knowing what we now know about the current treatment landscape in psoriasis, how do you evaluate the place or the role of topical treatments?
2: So, you know, we have a tremendous amount of um, innovation, especially innovation that's coming and not yet out. Um, and you know the concern is uh, here, the insurers again, create barriers to prescribing new drugs and they try to uh, extort what are called discounts and rebates but they're really payoffs from the makers of these creams. And, you know, when you're selling a drug that thanks to the insurance companies go for $100,000, most of which goes to the insurance companies in the form of discounts and rebates. Um, uh, and, and, and again, it's not really a discounted rebate. It goes into the pocket of the insurance company. Um, so they're now asking for similar amounts of money for the makers of topical therapies, which cost much less. Um, and that's been a barrier to innovation in the U S but we do have several new drugs that hopefully will be coming out even within the next year. uh, uh so there, there are Jack inhibitors. There's a, a new phosphodiesterase inhibitor. There's a uh, drug called Teprenoraf, so so we have really good uh, creams and ointments. the The reason we needed those breakthroughs is that the mainstay of topical therapy in the U.S. has been topical corticosteroids, and those are very useful. They work well. They have drawbacks. The drawbacks are primarily cutaneous atrophy, um, and you know the one we worry about most is stretch marks, striae. Uh, which are particularly bad in the armpits, the axillae, and in the groin, in the medial thighs. Uh, uh, there's also an awful rash on the face called perioral dermatitis. And uh, around the eyes, cataracts and glaucoma are side effects of steroids. So there are those are the areas we don't like to use steroids and we really have a need for non-steroids. Um, one of the articles we published actually, JADV, looked at the use of a combination lotion of tazarotene, which is a non-steroid, it's a retinoid, and halobetasol propionate, which is a potent steroid, although it's in a slightly lower concentration than the old Um, and, and the concern, of course, was uh, retinoids are very irritating, steroids cause atrophy. Well, it turns out that retinoids protect against atrophy, and steroids reduce the irritation. So it was almost the perfect combination uh, uh the, those two in a single, uh, lotion. Uh, and the study that was looked at was actually an open label study using in a large number of adults. I think it was 555 adults and everyone stayed on the treatment for eight weeks. We try to take patients off of steroids. Uh, we don't like to use it chronically. So, and in fact, in the study, if you had to be on it more than 24 weeks, you, you know, that was the, uh, that was the end for you. Um, But but, uh, what we did is if a patient achieved clear or almost clear, they were were considered a treatment success. And at that point, they took four weeks off and came back four weeks later. If they were still clear or almost clear, they um, uh, uh, were then uh, still maintained off treatment. If they were not Clear, almost clear, they were then restarted for four week interval back on the lotion once a day. Um, and that was a, a very useful study.
0: Was there anything that you found particularly interesting about the results?
2: Some high points of the um, results is that in the first eight weeks, more than half the patients achieved clear or almost clear mm-hmm. and, did n- and did not require uh, treatment for more than four weeks in over half the patients at that point. Um, over the course of the year, there's a small percentage of patients that never required retreatment. It was Um, 6.6%. If you looked at the total body surface area affected in the people who stayed in the study for 52 weeks, over three quarters of patients stayed under 5% BSA. So it was a, you know, a a very useful, successful treatment. Um, There were some application set reactions, but they were, um, you know, well, easily managed. Uh, So, um, so, and, you know, overall, this was quite a successful study. It was also one of very few studies where they actually have a steroid that's used for a year. Uh, and uh, and they uh, of course it wasn't it, patients were given the opportunity to come off of it but it was a year long study with a combination product that actually contained a steroid um, there are one or two others of those published but very few
1: concerning another recent jdv paper that you co-authored entitled itch An underrecognized problem in psoriasis could increasing the recognition of itch improve the management of psoriasis
2: I think so. I think that doctors don't appreciate how much patients suffer uh, with itch. Uh, And in fact, I would say, you know, 25, 30 years ago, there were books that said if the patient itches, it's probably not psoriasis. And that was just wrong. And it was uh, ignorant of us. Um, We are used to taking care of atopic dermatitis, which is a severely itchy, debilitating itchy condition. Uh, And the itch of psoriasis, may not be as bad uh, when you look at the patient you see these patients covered with these awful red scaly plaques. But in fact, they bother the patients enormously. And there are actually many papers indicating that the most bothersome symptom that patients have is itch. And there are actually many surveys showing that. Um, and we we underrecognize it because um, we're so used to looking at atopic dermatitis, where literally not only can the people who have it not sleep, but no one in their family can sleep. They are so miserable with it. So the patients with psoriasis have a lower degree of itch than the patients with atopic dermatitis, but nonetheless, the majority of patients with psoriasis do itch.
1: What are the key considerations when addressing challenges associated with long-term topical treatment and benefits of proactive management in patients with psoriasis?
2: Another combination topical therapy that has been used for psoriasis has been the combination of casopotrine and beta-methasone dipropionate. Uh, First, the ointment, then a gel, and most recently, uh, a spray foam. Spray foam appears to be the most effective of the combinations. Also, very elegant and uh, liked by patients. Um, this was also one of the few products that was studied in a uh, double-blind, blind fashion for uh, a year uh, in uh, patients with psoriasis in a study that's called the So Long Study, uh, and showed a dramatic benefit to a maintenance regimen. Using the combination um, first for once a day for a month and then twice a week to keep psoriasis away. And it was indeed placebo controlled, uh, and there was a tremendous benefit to being on the active. Um, the advantage of twice a week uh, is that, based on very old data uh, with beta methionine dipropionate, um, it was actually a, uh, uh, an American dermatologist by the name of uh, Irving Katz, H. Irving Katz. Uh, who um, uh, published a concept called weekend therapy and patients would use beta-methicinide propionate ointment for two weeks and then weekends only to keep psoriasis away. And he showed a dramatic benefit to the weekend only regimen. So we modified this a little bit. Instead of weekends only, we continued it twice a week uh, and um, showed that you could could reduce the number of relapses, delay the return of psoriasis, uh, dramatically. Um, and so uh, um, that yet is another combination product with a steroid. Um, calcipotrine, by the way, is a vitamin D analog, so it's not a steroid. And by combining that with beta methicin which is a strong steroid, you're able to get a degree of efficacy that is superior to either of the ingredients alone. Um, calcipotrine is a little bit irritating. Um, and uh, 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 the, the presence of the steroid suppresses that irritation.
0: So what's new, what's on the horizon for these treatments? What's coming down the pipeline?
2: So we have, uh, several new drugs on the horizon. Uh, one of them is topical roflumilast, which is a very potent phosphodiesterase four inhibitor. And, you know, this is a very benign mechanism of action. Caffeine is a phosphodiesterase inhibitor, Uh, the, there is one drug currently on the market, chrysabarol, which has been very helpful because it's not a steroid. Um, the uh, Roflumas appears to be more potent than Crisabrol. Um, And in fact, its efficacy is in the range of the better steroid pro- products and some of the combination products we mentioned today. Um, so we're looking forward to that coming out. There's another non-steroid that has uh, provi- provided also excellent results um, it's called tepinorof. Um, it had a minor side effect in the clinical trials, which was called folliculitis, but it was really, you know, a mild to moderate condition. That uh, at least in the one patient I saw who had it, uh, I would have called it milia. You know, little blocked glands that are easy to pop out. Uh, but um, uh, in any case, uh, uh, that's been reported in up to 20% of patients in the clinical trials. But um, you know, when that comes out, it will be useful for, uh, very useful for psoriasis. And it's not a steroid. So we don't have to worry about cutaneous atrophy, telangiectasia, strii, perioral dermatitis, cataracts, glaucoma, all the things we worry about with steroids. Um, same with Um The JAK inhibitors, uh, oral JAK inhibitors uh, are on the horizon for atopic dermatitis. I don't think they will be um, pursued for psoriasis because tofacitinib uh, was not approved by the FDA for psoriasis, but it was approved for psoriatic arthritis. So I think many of those may be used for psoriatic arthritis, but they're also being studied in topical formulations and they are showing very good efficacy for atopic dermatitis. And the ones that have looked in psoriasis have shown pretty good efficacy as well. So I think we're gonna have a lot of choices for the topical therapy of psoriasis in the future.
0: So being in the know, being on the forefront of this important research, what do you tell the doctors across the world who are treating these conditions? What's the takeaway?
2: So we now have a very broad array of therapies for psoriasis and even more coming. We have the ability to get clear or almost clear skin in virtually anyone. Uh, And if your patients are not doing well, there are plenty of choices. And sometimes it involves moving to a different class of drugs. Sometimes it involves moving within a class to a different drug. Um, sometimes it involves combining treatments to get your patient clear, but we do have the ability to clear the vast majority of patients. Um, the reason we're not doing that right now is mostly access. Uh, the drugs are extremely expensive. There are ways of reducing the, that, those prices Uh, to make them more accessible to patients and without interfering with the innovation that's taking place in the pharmaceutical industry. And it does involve kind of cutting out a lot of the people who have their fingers in the pot to take some of the money that's generated by this, even though they do none of the research that leads to the development of these drugs. Um, Some of the drugs are indeed expensive to make. The um, uh, cost of a plant to make biologics, the last time I looked, which was a few years ago, was more than three quarters of a billion dollars. So the drugs are not going to be free, but you know, if you ask a patient, you know, if if I'm covered head to toe in psoriasis and it's affecting every aspect of my life, what is it worth to me to get rid of this? Uh, and I think mo- most of them would say it's worth quite a lot. Um, we do have the ability to do that. Um, you know, the purpose of insurance was to take premiums from a large population of patients. So if you're one of the unlucky ones who get sick, those premiums pay for the sick patients. We should be able to do that. Um, uh, and in an ideal world, we would be able to do it easily. Uh, and hopefully at some point, we will get closer to an ideal world. But I would say, you know, fight for your patients to get these phenomenal drugs that are coming out that really help them a lot.
0: Dr. Lebvold, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and for sharing your experience with our listeners. We hope to talk to you again soon.
2: Thank you again for having me. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: So what did you think, Sachel?
1: Dr. Lebvold has an incredible amount of experience, and it's always interesting in hearing perspectives from the other side of the Atlantic.
0: And it's great that some of his research is published in our own JEADV.
1: In fact, the research discussed today can be found in the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. Though you can find free access and open access articles, EADV members benefit greatly by having access to all articles and content. Links to the articles can be found in the summary to today's podcast.
0: We would like to thank Dr. Lebo for speaking with us today, and we would like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next
2: episode, take care of your skin.